You're listening to The Wrestling Life on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at obpapparel.com. Hey everybody, it's The Wrestling Life. It's episode 139. It's the 2017 Thanksgiving Spectacular. I'm Ethan. And I'm Liam. We're going to do some evergreen content this week, everybody. Uh, Don't want to pull the curtain back. I mean, this show is live. Uh, We're obviously not pre-recording this week ahead of time. Uh, Absolutely not. We're going to take a little detour, as we typically do on this show, from talking current events in wrestling and we are going to go into some what ifs. We are having this conversation on Twitter this week, and Liam Mans, the Twitter account, does an incredible job and promotes the show that way. And we were just talking about some great what ifs. And I will propose one to Liam. And this is kind of just some of our, our pet peeves and things that uh, we know that the other one is passionate about from conversations that we've had over the years. But Liam, I know that you were a big Zack Ryder fan and we and were even, I believe you were even in the building the night that Zack Ryder won the United States championship in uh, 2011 or whatever year that was mm-hmm. at the TLC show. And I was there too. And pretty big pop for Zack when he won the U S title. Uh, that was a show without Cena at a time when most of the programming was being built around Cena. And aside from CM Punk, uh, Ryder got one of the bigger pops on that show. And he won the U.S. title and was then treated as a joke and pushed off the stages and (laughs) just generally, you know, WWE was mad at him for getting himself over and they gave him the title. for blamed for Cena and Kane not drawing ratings. That's right, because he, he was in the program with Eve Torres and Cena. You know, ugh, <laughs> Cena stole his girlfriend. Like <laughs> it was just a, it's a terrible storyline. Uh, my thing. Is, so my question for you, as we're doing our topic this week, is what ifs? What if they had given Zack Ryder the ball? And I'm not saying that they would have ever pushed him at a world title level, because I feel like these what ifs need to be at least somewhat. Um, plausible for to make the conversations interesting, but what if they had pushed Zach as at a certain level at that U.S. title level instead of ripping it away from him? Do you think he would have succeeded? Do you think he would have failed? Do you think there was ever a chance in hell they were ever going to push him <laughs> that level, treat him seriously? Years later, here and he again had like a one day title reign. He got his WrestleMania moment. But uh, what do you, what if the WWE gave Zack Ryder the ball all those years ago? Well, to me, it's just that they did leave some, when it comes to merchandise, he moved merchandise legitimately um, in that era. And he went from a guy who was a complete afterthought. He was one of the edge guys. And then he kind of came up with this wacky Jersey Shore character on uh, the dying days of the sci-fi ECW and was just kind of floundering into nothingness and started doing this silly YouTube show. And he 
put a lot of insider type jokes, you know, he like draw a, a dollar bill with a crayon and say, Hey, look, I can draw money. You know, that kind of silly humor, but it started to catch on and people like CM Punk and John Cena started tweeting about it saying, Oh my gosh, this guy's great. This guy's hilarious. And he started to get over it. And you started hearing, we want rider chants on shows when, you know, guys like Mason Ryan and Ezekiel Jackson were being pushed. You would start hearing, we want rider um, and so the fans started to tell the office, Hey, uh, you know, we don't necessarily like exactly what you're giving us. We want this guy. We want to see this guy get a chance. And WWE resisted it for a long time, <laughs> uh, until they finally, they finally got on board for about a month. It was a Madison square garden show where the rock came back and the people chanted, we want Ryder at the rock after his <laughs> match. Right, the most preposterous thing in retrospect and kind of disrespectful to the giant movie star who came back to the silly wrestling world just because you know out of the goodness of his heart but i i can admit that now i'm i'm more (laughs) i'm more secure that was that was a legitimate point of contention between the two of us for a while (laughs) because you love Dwayne, and i i just like to stick the knife in the side and go hey by the way when Dwayne was out there they were chanting for for my guy sure Um, Sure, but uh, but no, I just and all seriousness, yeah, he could have. There's no reason he couldn't have been at the Kofi Kingston level uh, when Kofi Kingston was a singles guy, and he was just sort of peren- a perennial United States Intercontinental Champion type guy. Uh, you know, he could have, yeah, he could have been that level of guy. Would he have ever been a world champion? Probably not, although, you know, Jinder Mahal was world champion this year, so the standards have fallen quite a bit in, with 2017 eyes looking back. Um, but no, I, I think as a realistic idea, I think they did, uh, you know, they could have continued to push him to, you know, mid-card titles and put him in a tag team. Like, they kind of figured out eventually, once they had killed him for, for three or four years, they put him in a tag team with a guy that they did really like in Mojo Raleigh. And you know, try to so try to put Mojo with a guy who the fans liked and wanted to see succeed. Um, obviously, for Zach getting injured and some other reasons, the hype bros really never got off the ground. But uh, yeah, it was to me. I think there's there's a, a missed opportunity in that sense that he could have been a a mid card staple for years, and you could have, if you have a guy who you want to push to that next level, he could be the guy. He's never going to be the guy, but he can be the guy like in that Dolph Ziggler spot. He's the guy who works with guys you really like on the way up the card. To me, that's that's that was a no brainer. And instead, they they made him like lower than Santino level character. They you know they 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 clearly were mad that that he got over on his own. Um, was I this a case too of like I don't know I know very little about him i don't follow him on social media he seems like a nice guy and he seems like a pretty self-aware guy but he also seems like maybe the kind of guy that could maybe get a reputation that like Sami Zayn has gotten this year for wanting to be too involved god forbid in his own angles or taking him taking his character too seriously did he does he have that rap Uh, i think he actually has just the opposite um Mick Foley told a story <laughs> on, I believe it was Chris Jericho's podcast, uh, or it might have been Steve Austin's, but Foley was talking like after Zach had been this big star and gotten this big moment with the U.S. title and then had been completely buried, they they had Eve kick him in the balls at a WrestleMania. Like that was the blow off to the storyline of her 
cheating on him or whatever was that she still got to stand tall at the end of it. Yes. Um, <laughs> it's like, and, and Mick Foley, Mick Foley told the story of going up to Zach, like, like later in that year and be like, man, what happened? Why did they do this to you? And Zach just kind of going, I don't know. They never told me anything. Like, I think, I think he was so willing. And I think he, I think Zach Ryder's idea, and I, I've heard him interviewed as well. I think he did Jericho's podcast and he just thought, he's like, well, you know, I sell, I sold all this merch and people are chanting for me. So, you know, they're, they're getting the heat on me now, but they got to bring me back up eventually. Right. And I think he just kept thinking, okay, they're, you know, I'll, I'll be the good soldier and then my time will come. And unfortunately, <laughs> as we've seen that, that that never really happened, and I mean, he and he did get his his gold watch, uh, so to speak. Um, he got to to win the Intercontinental Championship at WrestleMania, and then he lost it a day later. <laughs> so it's it's I think it's a it's a big what up to me. He could be a big. He could have been a significantly bigger player. Like I said, could have been at that that Ziggler level as a guy who works with at the very least works with the guys who you want to then bump up for the, the card or, you know, at, is the introduction to getting this guy to the main audience is okay. You're in a tag team with Zack Ryder for six months and then you guys will split like that to me is the level that he could have been pushed to and should have been. And he could still be selling, you know, plenty of merch. And instead he's, he's kind of an afterthought once again, on even in this brand split era where we have so little pushed talent that you would think they would look for anybody to be, you know, a guy that could maybe move some merch or, or, or whatever that would just connect with an audience. And, and still he's just kind of floundering. So yeah, I think it's just an example of they, they weren't happy with him uh, for, for getting there on his own. And perhaps he just, and he uh, either wasn't willing to, or didn't have the instincts to, to kind of go fight for him and his, I guess his allies in the rock locker room, like Cena or punk or those guys didn't, uh, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying this is in any way their fault, but perhaps they didn't feel it was their, their, their place to go, go to bat for him or, or maybe they did. And, and Vince McMahon and whoever else just didn't care. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's to me, that's, that's the biggest, what that's one of the bigger, what ifs of the last five years. All right. Well, I've put one on the tee for you. Do you have any uh, any particular what ifs that you might like to get my perspective on? Or oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> let's let's uh, let's set up a little uh, a little game of badminton here. We'll knock it back and forth. Uh, badminton. Um, <laughs> of all sports, know. tennis, volleyball. I pick badminton. <laughs> All right. Oh, anyway, that's good. That's good pod. That out. No, that's good pod. Let's stay there. <laughs> uh, I, so one, what if? And I think we've kind of mentioned it in passing before. Maybe you've talked about it on some bonus features or something. But in uh, about the 2008 to 2009, there was no guy hotter in the WWE uh, as far as with the crowd um, than Jeff Hardy. <laughs> right? Am I uh, and. For whatever yeah, reason, absolutely. I mean, if you look at – and his booking was he would get up and then they'd knock him back down. And obviously Jeff had some self-inflicted wounds. Uh, we talked back on like the Money in the Bank show that he was perhaps going to win that match one year and got suspended. 
So he had, you know, some of his wounds were self-inflicted, but there was a time, and there's a phrase, I think, that goes, the right time is the right time. There's a no mercy, match at No Mercy 2008 where Triple H and Jeff Hardy wrestle. It's one of my favorite matches. And that match ends with Triple H pinning Jeff Hardy. Did they miss the boat there? Was that the moment? Was there another moment? Was, what, did they miss the boat truly on Jeff Hardy? Uh, I could speak for days on, <laughs> on, on 2007 to, through 2009 Jeff Hardy. <laughs> oh, man. It make me the internet here and have to look up dates. So was it the 2007 Rumble where he wrestled Randy Orton, or was that the 2008 Eight. Rumble? Eight. Uh, when did he get suspended? That would have been before... After it was after the Elimination Chamber show because that ends with Hunter pinning Jeff Hardy as the final right. turn, as a, right. as was okay. a theme in two thousand eight. So it was between Elimination right. Chamber and WrestleMania that year he gets suspended. All right. So to me, the time, as it turns out, the time would have been. Uh, it's it's really the ultimate. Uh, there's no good answer to this one <laughs> because the two thousand eight. 2008 Royal Rumble back in the pay-per-view days did a much bigger than uh, average buy rate. And this was uh, Randy Orton had won the WWE title as a heel and he went through like a four months period or maybe six month period. I think he retained the title a backlash of that year uh, of 08. And he won it. Um, he won it in 07 i think uh october 07 yes and he and he uh added no mercy show actually i think um <laughs> the night that night the triple h wrestled three matches the same night like a month after kurt angle wrestled three <laughs> matches in the same night just completely by coincidence um but so orton was a heel who's beating everybody clean he uh they rushed sean back from a knee injury and he beat sean and then jericho came back and he beat jericho and he was just he was beating beating baby faces clean, and they put Jeff Hardy in that spot on the Royal on the Royal Rumble show um, as the baby as the next baby face to get uh, mowed down by Orton. And their mindset in that time was always, well, Royal Rumble is going to draw anyway. We can put somebody we normally wouldn't put in the title match in the title match, and they did that with Brock Lesnar and Bob Holly, and I can think of like six. I don't know. I can, obviously I could only name just the one right now, but like John Cena, John Cena and Umaga before Umaga was really over. Um, Brett and Razor Ramon back in sure. 93. Like this is a thing. Like they would mm-hmm. put guys, you know, the rumbles, what's going to draw the show. So let's plug somebody else in there and see if we have anything here. So they put Jeff Hardy in there against Orton, and the thing does a, does a, does a big buy rate. Like, I don't remember what the number was, but it was well above what it was supposed to get at the time. And so it's, like, clear. It's not entirely clear until, like, six or eight weeks later once you get the buy rate number in. But uh, <laughs> this is amazing, by the way. But like, <laughs> these cable boxes, they purchase these things through, but we can't get an accurate count of how many people did it until... I mean, at least now, you know, a decade later, it's, you know, like a week or two. But <laughs> uh, at the time, you know, it's like four to six weeks until we we have we had a basic number. But um, so they're like, OK, well, this tells you something. Jeff Hardy's the guy or Jeff. Jeff Hardy is way more over than the level of his push. And we just pushed him as uh, top babyface for a month. So 
Um, then he had the Illumination Chamber match that year, and it was Hunter's turn. It was Hunter's turn <laughs> to to be in the WrestleMania main event that year because he blew his quad out and missed his he missed uh, WrestleMania the year before. So it was Hunter's turn to be in the main event. You see, so selfish of Ric Flair to retire that year. He really <laughs> robbed Hunter of his moment. Oh. Hunter on that show, by the way, is a real piece of work. Uh, <laughs> this is a time when Randy Orton's punt was putting people out for like th- four months at a time. Hunter eats a punt and then rolls over after uh, Orton pins Cena and like stretches his arm out over Cena. <laughs> like, <laughs> go back to and watch Hunter at that WrestleMania 24 show. Good lord! But anyway, so it was already decided before Jeff got over that. Hunter was going to be uh, in the main event of WrestleMania. So they had a, an Elimination Chamber match in February where Hunter beat Jeff Hardy clean. And they gave Jeff a lot in that match. He like It took like two pedigrees on a chair or something to, to beat him. It was more than just you know one finisher clean in the middle as, as it usually is. Uh, like Hunter gave Jeff some something there. Uh, but he still beat him because it was his turn. So then between... <laughs> between uh what, whatever the february pay-per-view was i think it was still no way out at that time they may have been calling elimination chamber i'm not sure i think that was still no way out at the time it was uh between no way out and mania that year um that's when you know money in the bank was still at mania and i think you're correct in saying that was the year jeff was going to win money in the bank and so it's like well we've already had two opportunities to make <laughs> to put jeff in the spot but we'll put him in the money in the bank match at mania and, um, you know, sometime in the next year, we'll make him the guy. <laughs> so they they went so far as to have Shawn Michaels put Jeff Hardy over clean on an episode of Raw, uh, then between Illumination Chamber and Mania that year. So it's like, all right, Shawn's going on his, on Mania to work with Rick that year. Um, but Shawn Michaels doesn't do too many jobs, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Shawn Michaels did a clean job for Jeff Hardy on raw and not like one of the jobs that triple H did for Jeff over the years. <laughs> Where, it wasn't a, a jackknife cover and a kick out at three and a quarter. No, he put him over. Sean put Jeff Hardy over and then Jeff like immediately failed a well on this test <laughs> between, <laughs> between being put over by Sean and mania. So it's like, well, if they had pushed him uh, or put the title on him at WrestleMania, or put him in the title match at WrestleMania like they, they did with Cena. Uh, or, you know, he then would have turned around and failed a drug test or a wellness test. So then you're heading into Mania with your champion <laughs> suspended? Like, I, to me, it's like, I would have loved to have seen them really strap the rocket to Jeff and tr- make a go of it just because he was the man that year and in 09 i ended up i've told this story a hundred times but i ended up seeing like a half dozen shows in different cities all over the country because i was driving cross cross country that year and i saw jeff hardy on in his last wwe matches and in his last wwe match for like eight years against punk in a cage in phoenix like i i spent you know a lot of money on wwe that summer and i Always got my money's worth. I saw because I saw a bunch of Jeff Hardy matches. The guy was awesome, and he was over. 
And if you believe, you know, the wrestling observer of that era, the observers of that era, uh, Jeff was listed on internal documents in the company as, as being their, their number one guy ahead of Cena. Like they knew it, but they couldn't ever really go full, full throttle with him either because a, they were afraid he's going to fail a drug test or B it was Hunter's turn. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I, I don't know. That's to, to me, that's what, that's a great what if, but it's not one I can really answer because they were damned if they did. And they were damned <laughs> if they did it. Well, even if you think, when you mentioned it was Hunter's turn, really just the plans in general, not being able to change because when they did finally give Jeff, the title in, I believe, December of 08 at that Armageddon. I think it was Armageddon. Yep. It's like they had already decided that I guess they were going to do Hunter was going to be the WWE champion and go to Raw and wrestle Orton. Uh, and so Hunter had to get the belt back. So first, they, so they just, and they had already decided they were doing Matt and Jeff at WrestleMania. And Matt, <laughs> Matt Hardy was not going to be wrestling for the WWE championship in 2009. Let me tell you, buddy. Um, so they just decided, well, Jeff, well, we give Jeff his moment and then we immediately take it away. And then by the time they gave him the, the world title on SmackDown the following year in the, in the punk feud, which was an awesome feud. It kind of almost felt like, okay, yeah, we miss, they missed the window. And I think we've seen that happen with, with certain guys who you think maybe could have been bigger, but they waited too long. But I guess, I guess maybe to put a bow on it, if you had to put, you know, under your head, did Jeff screw Jeff or is it more, <laughs> is it more Jeff Hardy screwed up? And so the company didn't feel they could put their, their faith in him or is it more, it, it was Hunter's turn. Jeff, uh, Jeff was a screw up. I mean, under <laughs> my head, Jeff was a screw up. He'd already been fired once at, at that point for having issues. And then they brought him back with like no real evidence that any of those issues were resolved. And then he got over. And as you mentioned, you know, eventually they did give him the title in 09 and they made him the guy on SmackDown, but he was already decided that he was done. He was beat up. He was tired. He had a lot of money. He doesn't spend a lot of money. He wanted to go home. <laughs> and, and by the time they, they did actually push him, he was, he was ready to go home for a while. So yeah. And they had punk make fun of him for getting fired. So he would, or for, uh, for getting arrested. So he decided to go to TNA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That well, I I felt ugh, I felt really weird about that one because it seemed like he was trying to get word to the quote unquote dirt cheats at the time what his side of the story was, and his side of the story was look he went to a doctor and the doctor told him look I can't prescribe you this stuff but if you were to get some steroids to help heal your neck here's how you would do it and. You know, in terms of the pain pills or whatever else he got caught with, yeah, I don't have a good explanation for that. <laughs> but mm-hmm. um, I think they they were really more upset with him for the steroids at the time, and the guy was beat up. I mean, I to me, um, I, I'm a little bit sympathetic on that that specific Jeff Hardy incident. Now, any of the other like three dozen Hardy Boys incidents over the years, <laughs> <laughs> but. On that particular one, I'm a little bit sympathetic to Jeff just because I saw I saw so much of him that year and know how beat up he was. But anyway. all right, we got to do this now. Then. Yeah. All right, so there's a, there's a, 
we're talking about potential what ifs here, and we were talking about well, we both have this like John Morrison thing, and it's like, do we want to you know talk about John Morrison at all? And we're like, no, we really don't think John Morrison's that interesting. He just he just <laughs> he's just kind of a dumb guy, and. Uh, <laughs> You brought to mind a, a story that I completely forgotten about Morrison uh, picking a fight. Can you share the? Uh, can you share that? Sure, sure, absolutely. So uh, it's sort of long forgotten now, but in, in the mystical land of 2011, uh, Jersey Shore was a very popular show, and they got Snooki to come in for a WrestleMania match. And it was going to be a mixed tag. It was going to be Morrison, Snooki, and Trish Stratus against, uh, I believe it was Vicky Guerrero, uh, I think Michelle McCool or Layla, and is Dolph the other guy? That sounds right, but I can't be bothered to do any research. So I don't It doesn't know. matter. It was a mixed tag. Snooki was the other one, and they had recently, they were doing a new season of Tough Enough where Trish Stratish was, was the one of the judges. So they wanted her to, I guess, to sort of reintroduce her to the modern audience. So they're going to do... Trish Stratus is returning at WrestleMania. She's teaming with this very popular reality TV star in Snooki. And John Morrison, the lucky guy, gets a, a featured spot on a WrestleMania card. And uh, so the match goes on. It's, you know, it's three minutes long, and Snooki does like a handspring elbow, and the crowd goes crazy for it. And, and then they do, what, they do whatever their finish was. And after the match... They go to do the thing where, you know, the ref raises everybody's hands and everybody, you know, grabs each other's hands and they all lift it up. And uh, Trish Stratus goes over to, like, high-five John Morrison or something. And John Morrison, like, does the shoulder bump past her and, like, very visibly cold shoulders her uh, throughout the celebration of the match. And I believe the story going around at that time was that Morrison, who, was, who dated Melina for, like, a million years... Uh, <laughs> Melina was mad that it wasn't that she didn't get a spot on WrestleMania, and I guess that the the part timer Trish Stratus had come in to take a spot. Like it wouldn't <laughs> have been Melina; it would have been Kelly Kelly or somebody if it wasn't Trish. Like if they did use a full timer, it wouldn't have been Melina. Melina wasn't like on te- television. Uh, yeah, but for whatever reason, they. Uh, but for Melina, I guess Melina decided, well, that should be my spot, and and John. Uh, went, hey, yeah. And so he was trying to be a good boyfriend uh, to this dumb woman. And, and is so he, he like, uh, sorry, is, is he like the only person that's ever like had heat with Trish Stratus? Like the, <laughs> the, the hippie, hippie that owns the yoga studio that like, <laughs> that like gets along with everybody? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean that's the only that's the only that's the only time I can think that I've ever heard of anyone being angry or yes having heat with Trish Stratus <laughs> because his girlfriend should have been on WrestleMania instead of the you know the legend who was also there to help promote the Tough Enough show. Like what the a hippie, what a the hippie yoga teacher that married her high school sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what a B, what a GDB. <laughs> She's a no good bee. <laughs> uh, I know you're happy anytime you can work community shit good here. All right. Absolutely. So we, got, we got the John Morrison story here. A couple other fairly recent what ifs. Um, we just kick around here. 
you listen to his podcast, and God, I hope you don't, uh, Ryback. <laughs> Ryback has a lot of thoughts and opinions about modern wrestling and about what his perceived place should be in it. And he always thinks if like Vince had ever just let him airbrush his singlets or <laughs> switch, switch to trunks or... Uh, I don't know if you just let give Ryback a little more creative freedom. <laughs> Ryback, whose big idea was to change feed me more from to Ryback rules. Uh, <laughs> that's his big creative contribution to the wrestling business. But uh, and wanting to impress Brock with the size of his D. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> you listen to Ryback's podcast, and God, I hope you don't, uh, he thinks he could have been a much bigger star. Liam! Obviously, there's the one kind of key moment there where they had the choice to make on Ryback, and they made it. But do you think Ryback, if they had let Ryback beat Punk, or somehow not book themselves into a (laughs) corner with Punk and Ryback at Hell in a Cell, do you think Ryback would have been a bigger star? Well, it's like this is a tough one, much like on our when we did our Money in the Bank show, we went over some what ifs with guys like Mr. Kennedy who lost his. It's like when I personally hate the guy, like it's hard for me to be objective <laughs> about uh, when, what his prospects were. It's really easy to just go, well, the guy was a schmuck, you know, screw him. But uh, to put on the, the more logical hat here, uh, yeah, Ryback was over and. That Hell in a Cell number, that Hell in a Cell show where he met invented with CM Punk did a good number, um, better than average, because they had built up an unstoppable babyface monster who really never sold for anybody and was pushed as unstoppable. And they put him in the ring with the ch- guy who had been champion for three for nearly a year, and it was it was really cool. And they put him in Hell in a Cell. Um which still at that point was, I think, kind of considered the match with no interference. So I think people bought it because people bought that show because they thought Ryback was going to win the title. And instead they did the screwy finish with Brad Mad Ox and uh, you know, brought in the Shield the month later at Survivor Series. And uh, it was kind of a lot of, a lot of screwy stuff like that from there. But uh, yeah, I mean... I, to me, he had a limited shelf life because in the same way that Goldberg uh, in his 03 run had a limited shelf life. Because eventually, they, for right or wrong, they're going to decide that you need to be able to cut 20-minute promos and you, you need to be able to wrestle for 20 minutes and you need to be able to sell for Triple H. Like Those are just things you have to learn to do if you're going to be a main eventer in WWE. Um, and for better or worse... He, I don't think he would have excelled in that role. Um, so yeah, and like a magical world where they let him basically be Goldberg and he wins all his matches in five minutes for two years and they push him as the champion and they have him run through Punk and Cena and every other big name. Yeah, maybe he could have been a star, but that's just, it's just, I, I feel like you have to look at the reality. So you, if you want to say WWE kind of sabotaged him, I don't disagree. I mean, they clearly lost interest in him. Um, because they had decided they were going to do CM Punk and The Rock at that year's Royal Rumble, and he was just kind of a stopgap to give CM Punk something to do um, for a couple of months. So to me, it's almost more of a timing issue. They had plans. They were going to Cena and Rock at WrestleMania and to get to Cena and Rock, 
they had to do Cena or they wanted to do rock and punk and to do rock and punk punk had to be protected for that whatever six months between when he uh you know uh, when they announced the match basically so it's it's almost is he more of a victim of circumstance i guess is what i'm saying I think so, although I don't think you're you're necessarily off base from the beginning in that saying, well, we need to at least, you know, have some grasp of reality here. And that's not a clear what if. It's eventually this guy would have sabotaged himself by being an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I would agree with that. So it's like, yeah, there's, there's, they left short term money on the table, I would say. They could have run with him for maybe six months. But I don't think Ryback would have been would still be a top guy, say now, if if they had given him that title. Uh, I w- he- at the time I was absolutely fine with it. I was like, this guy was never going to be anything just because of how they do business anyway. To your point, and it's more important to me that Punk has like this long title run, and and I want to see Punk in the Rock. And uh, I was on board with the long term plan. And the thing is just, yeah, don't book yourself in any corners. But uh, looking back in hindsight, Ryback's gone, Punk's gone, Dwayne's gone. <laughs> so, like, who cares? Of None of this matters. Yeah, uh, they're all gone, and I don't think any of them are ever wrestling another match for WWE. So, <laughs> so in the end, it doesn't matter. And all of this is meaningless. <laughs> yeah, just, just to put a bow on it, I would say... Ryback was was always going to be a short term success, and was. But if you want to give him some credit, you can just say, "Well, he was just a victim of circumstance and a victim of long term planning." If you if you want to, if that's the be nice to Ryback version of that story, the more reality based version that I would go with is, as you said, he would have found a way to get himself out of that spot eventually. Either way, please don't listen to his podcast. Please, please, and please don't read SC Scoop's articles about his podcast. I don't care what Ryback thinks about WWE booking in 2017, and I like Edge and Christian more than most of my family. But I don't, I don't care what they think about modern wrestling. Like, who cares what they think about what they did on SmackDown last week? <laughs> like, do you, Edge is like you know mountain climbing and uh, raising his kids and raising his Huskies and being married to Beth Phoenix and doing acting roles on sci-fi. Do you think she really like sits down and watches five hours WWE, WWE TV every week? Or do you think he just feels compelled to come like to comment on it because he used to do it for a living and it's too nice to say, it's too Canadian and nice to say no to anything. Like don't, I don't care what Ed and Christian and Ryback think about modern wrestling. I just don't. They're nice boys. Edge and Christian are nice boys. Um, and I like, I like when it's, I like their interviews in the sense that I like them talking to guys like Orton or Cena or Daniel Bryan or Sami Zayn and just having conversations, uh, you know, kind of worker to worker, I guess is that to me is interesting, but yes, the hour or so their podcasts are long. I don't know about Rybacks cause I have too much self-respect, but, um, Edge and, Christian, Edge and Christian's podcast are like two hours long, man. I don't know. I listen to the Bruce Pritchard show, and that's oh, it's like that. minimum two and a half hours every week. The Bret Hart episode a couple weeks ago was like four and a half hours. 
Like I don't sit, I don't do it all in one sitting. Like I listen to like a half hour before I go to sleep every night, and a half hour in my commute, and it takes me like three or four days, but eventually I get through it. You know, sounds great. Uh, <laughs> all right, so uh, I, dear God, if, if, well, it's inside baseball here. Um, so you, if you wanted to try to connect that rambling podcast bit we just did, I could bring up uh, Christian in 2011 if you think that's more interesting than uh, like Joe and TNA. I don't think, I think Christian in 2011 was pushed <laughs> perfectly. Or Christian in whatever. <laughs> or like, I don't think, I don't think Christian is a missed boat at all. Okay. That's fair. I just, I don't know. Like, okay, so like nice, nice guy, good, really good worker. Between 2009 and 2011, one of the probably two best, two three best guys in WWE as far as a worker, but creepy little bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he did himself any favor with the tights he wore. You know, you can just see how skinny his legs were, and I just imagine Vince sitting there going like, "Ah, look at his legs." <laughs> have you ever seen a squat exactly. rack before? Exactly. <laughs> Kid ever seen ins- that bastard ever seen the inside of a gym before? Exactly. Exactly. No, I don't. I don't think they missed the boat with Christian at all. Like he had a good career there, really good mid card at times, upper mid card career. Worked with everybody, had the best matches in the company in, in his ECW run in two thousand nine and ten. There. Yeah. Okay. All right. So got out. Right. And he could, got out, and he could still walk. There you go. Um, may not be able to remember too many things, but Ugh. okay. Ugh. Uh, so for the last one, I thought I would bring up one that uh, it's, a, it's a little more outside the box. We can go out. Uh, Ethan, do you think Kane has been pushed enough? Oh, F you. <laughs> no, J- JK. <laughs> we're, just, we're just playing a trick. Um, <laughs> I, I was just playing a trick, but it wasn't mean-based. <laughs> no, um, I think that was mean-based. <laughs> have Kane and the Big Show been pushed? Um, no, so here's here's a question. Uh, TNA, uh, the uh, the world's what about funniest it? dumpster fire. <laughs> yes. Um, for for the last uh, decade and a half of professional wrestling, everybody likes to point and laugh. No one did. But there was a, <laughs> right. Uh, but there was a point in let's say 2005, 2006, 2007. Kurt Angle came in. He did a match with Samoa Joe. They popped a legitimate. I mean, for TNA, it was a crazy number on pay per view. For the first Samoa Joe Kurt Angle match, um, so this is like November '06 ish, if my memory yes. serves. I, I October right. it was definitely late '06. So they they bring in Kurt Angle. They've got uh, AJ Styles is around. They've got some some older names as well, um, and they tended to really push. They chose Kurt Angle, who is in the midst of a freaking midlife crisis, nervous breakdown, to be their guy. Uh, I guess take me through a little bit of a what if. What if TNA had gone with Samoa Joe? If Samoa Joe beats Kurt Angle in a decisive fashion, and you say, you know what, Kurt Angle was great in his day, but to this day is Samoa Joe. What if what if they had gone all the way with a guy like Joe in TNA and really tried to differentiate their product from the WWE product? I might have a different take on this than maybe the conventional wisdom. And that I don't think they were necessarily wrong in putting Kurt over Joe immediately on his way in. Um, Joe did have a long undefeated streak there and Kurt beat him. 
and immediately you're saying, okay, this guy who just walked off WWE television is better than our best guy. And in that sense, I can see why maybe um, what the argument is there for not putting Kurt over. But at the time, I was okay with it. Um, That pay-per-view did either the biggest or second biggest number they ever did uh, for for a buy rate. Uh, They had a little bit of a buzz at the time. Um, There was interest in seeing Kurt in TNA. And if you had had him be the one kind of legend guy to work with their homegrown guys, then I think it would have been just fine. Um, Paul Heyman, when he very famously was offered the chance to come in and run TNA, uh, <laughs> said one of his stipulations, and it never really got beyond, uh, he wanted too much power for Dixie's liking, <laughs> but and Gabe Sapolsky were going to go in and run TNA, I think. And Paul's thing was, okay, well, you got all these guys. You got Hogan, you got Rick, you got Nash, you got Sting, you got Kurt. You got all these old guys laying around, kicking around. Um, just pick one of them. And I don't think Paul was watching the product too much time, too much at the time if he thought Hulk was wrestling. But anyway, it's like uh, pick, just pick one of them. And uh, like, like I did with ECW with Terry Funk, you can have one legend. And the rest of these guys are just, they're going to get beat by young guys and they're going to get beat and they're going to get beat and then they're going to go home because they don't want to get beat. And then you'll have one legend around that you can uh, use to elevate guys that you have there, but you got to keep them strong to a certain level. So it still means something when you beat him. If I were booking TNA in in 2006, Kurt would have been, I would have used Kurt in that role. And Kurt was enough of a team player and enough of an insane man and had the business in his blood and all this stuff that you could have kept him strong enough and um, appeased his ego enough. And he just loved wrestling so much that he would have been fine being that guy. But you would have to stop paying Sting his 500 grand a year or whatever it was at the time. To, to show up and win, and win the title at Bound for Glory every year. Um, you would have had to stop paying Nash uh, so that he and Dixie could stop hanging out at the hotel bar afterwards drinking red wine together. And um, so what, I, You and I love Kevin Nash. I just, I can't stress oh, yeah, enough. Yeah. He is, he is oh, the yeah. greatest in a certain way. But, like, what the hell is he doing as a regular TV character? Like, a regular wrestler. It's not even like he was, you know, the Diesel character again, and he was, like, AJ Styles' bodyguard or something. Right. Like, I think they did do that a little bit with, like, Alex Shelley or somebody. There's some, some funny skits they did, I, I seem to remember. But, like, like, he's, like, a regular TV character, like, beating AJ Styles and Joe and, and Scott Steiner and Booker T and all these guys are just all going over guys like Samoa Joe in that era. It's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. So to to me, the what if there is a little bit twisted. It's like, well, I don't I don't think the outcome would have been any different if they would have had Joe go over Kurt there just because Ding and Nash and then, you know, two two, three years later you'd have Hogan and Flair and R V D Orlando and- Jordan. Yeah, the Nasty Boys and Jimmy Hart. And <laughs> <laughs> Not about the Nasty Boys. 
<laughs> Dear God. I saw Jimmy Hart pinning like one of the Dudleys on television in 2010. Didn't, didn't they bring Spike Dudley back and they did like yes. Spike and Bubba and Devon against the Nasties and Jimmy Hart? Yes. And Jimmy Hart got the pin because he was the most in shape and ready to take bumps. <laughs> And able to take bumps of all the nasty boys. But yeah, to me, it's like you still would have had this, the, the same end result because Dixie was in charge and it was TNA. But <laughs> I like I don't th- I don't think they necessarily screwed up by putting Kurt over Joe at that first pay-per-view. If then you have AJ beat Kurt next month or whatever, whatever it is, if Kurt is the one guy that is your legend, then OK, cool. But I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I mean, I mean, I don't think Kurt. I mean, from a health scare standpoint, I think people were just waiting for another Eddie Guerrero type situation with him at the time, which is horrifying uh, to think about. But I think people were worried about his, you know, his well being. But as you know, as a wrestler, he still had, you know, he could still go. Absolutely, there was a place for him. I guess I just they pushed him and Nash and Sting so hard. Um, I mean, mo- mostly him and Sting, and Sting still had some, you know, had some nice moments. And but I mean, he was, I mean, he was in TNA from what, like two thousand four, two thousand five, <laughs> to you yeah. know, to, to two thousand thirteen or whatever. And he, I mean, he didn't. <laughs> none of those guys, with the exception of Kurt and Joe, really. Uh, you know, those were those were the guys that main event built to numbers, and I believe the second biggest number they ever did was Kurt and Joe in a cage, like three or four months later, uh, it was one of their biggest buy rates ever as well. So, yep. and, and sting and Joe did draw one house together of like, you know, 5,000 or something in Chicago for bound for glory one year. I think the, the year... show where Joe did the crazy drop kick and like landed on his yeah. butt on cement stairs. Yeah. I think that's legit. One of the bigger crowds they ever drew, though. So, like, they okay, but we're talking about they they drew one house ever, <laughs> right? Sting Sting drew one house, uh, but yeah, I think I think there's something to that idea of using Kurt as as a guy, but I think there is still something to the idea of yeah of specifically Joe just because he would be a different look, a different style than anything I think you would see in WWE at that time. Where in WWE you still had the, the big Samoan was still a you know. A, a savage. He was still wearing face paint and and you know the Umaga type character. Uh, where in WWE, where in TNA, you had a chance, I think, to maybe show just a completely different style, a completely different type of character. And instead, yes, Joe. I mean, Joe's the name. Obviously, AJ Styles is uh, you know a great worker, but he wasn't a great promo really in that era. So to me, the the biggest what if for TNA is what if they had. More even more so than AJ is if what if they had gotten behind Joe? Well, these are just a few of the what ifs that keep us up at night. Actually, they don't, but uh, <laughs> they don't keep I us am up. I'm going to spend a lot of time thinking about that John Morrison Trish Stratus thing though, because that one just doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like all these, con- you know, she doesn't do too many conventions, but you see, like people like Dave Batista that worked with her for probably like four months, like <laughs> go out of the way to take photos photos with her and like all of the women of that era all love each other even though you would think that like they would all secretly hate each other or something it's like no they all love each other and <laughs> like bad word to say about Tristratus. like people talk s about china and <laughs> nobody talks s about except 
John Morrison. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty amazing. But uh, you know, otherwise, John Morrison's really not that interesting, I guess. He certainly is not. All right, <laughs> another Thanksgiving spectacular in the books. Our listener for listening. That's all I have, Liam. Do you have anything else? Well, I just like to say I'm, I'm thankful for for doing this show. I'm, I'm thankful for, for all of the listener. And I'm, uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we get to have uh, conversations like this because, you know, where else, where other show are you going to find uh, talk of Trish Stratus and John Morrison bleeding into talk about, uh, you know, Ryback's podcast? Like, where, where else are you going to find that? Nowhere. How, Please. how depressing is it that like the Trish and Morrison stuff is like almost seven years ago now? Oh, that's the good old days. Like what? <laughs> Oh, they were hanging from the rafters in that era, brother. Oh, oh, hundred thousand people at Budokan Hall. What? (laughs) You know, it's hilarious. Like I was. uh, Anyway, (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Till next time, I'm Ethan, and I'm and I'm thankful. And we'll be back very. (laughs) We'll be back very soon with more stories from the wrestling life. Goodbye. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. For other podcasts like this, head to obpapparel.com. The Wrestling Life is brought to you by OBP Apparel. For Baltimore's best local sports gear, head to obpapparel.com. Whether it's baseball or football season, we've got you covered with Baltimore's best local sports gear. That's obpapparel.com. Thanks for listening to The Wrestling Life, a part of the Elite Podcast Network at obpapparel.com. Be sure to go and subscribe to us on iTunes. Just search for The Wrestling Life on the iTunes store. Make sure you leave a review and tell us how we're doing. Also, be sure to follow the guys on Twitter at TWL underscore podcast for live tweets during wrestling events and other hilarity throughout the week. That's at TWL underscore podcast. Now back to the guys. E uh, E News is on in the background. I kicked uh, kicked Anna out of here so I could record, and uh, the, <laughs> she left the E Network on the television. And mm-hmm. uh, E News has been playing this whole time, and uh, they're doing obviously a bunch of Justice League stuff, um, promoting <laughs> Justice League. And mm-hmm. so Gal Gadot's been on my television for like the last tw- <laughs> twenty minutes, which uh-huh. like there's some kind of Jedi mind trick that happened where when women think she's just like a normal looking person (laughs) and i was listening to a radio show and somebody was explaining this phenomenon and saying like she's at worst like the second most beautiful woman in the world (laughs) like (laughs) 
like at work on her worst day she's the second most beautiful woman in the world and then, and then sure enough and Anna's like you know what what I really like about her is she's just like you know she's just like a regular girl you know she's just like a re- <laughs> and I'm like it's funny you should mention this because I was just listening to a podcast where the ghost was like at worst she's like the second <laughs> best looking woman in the world and she's like well i just mean that she's not like you know she doesn't have any like cartoonish implants or you know like sure i'm like all right all right i i, I would <laughs> i i tend to fall in the you know on her worst day camp <laughs> but right I, they, they they make a joke about that in wonder woman movie they do that at one point they not not quite to that level but they they're just they're trying to disguise her so she's not in like full wonder woman garb walking around world war one london <laughs> and he puts glass and her her male love interest puts glasses on her and his his secretary comes up she's like oh put glasses on her suddenly she's not the most beautiful woman you've ever seen are you kidding me <laughs> that's not a disguise because <laughs> I think it's also good. supposed to be like a, an elbow rib thing to you know Clark Clint wears glasses type joke, but right. But it's lot, lots of Ben, lots of Ben Affleck uh, on this on this E news E news <laughs> show as well. Um, how much like how terrible must it be to be Batman or like how terrible are these DC movies that like <laughs> Ben Affleck's like you know what Batman. I don't want to be Batman anymore. <laughs> it's like, it's, I, I feel bad. <laughs> yeah, I, I liked Batman vs. Superman. I was one of the 20% or whatever on Rotten Tomatoes that actually liked that movie. But, okay. yeah, he's like, I think he did it, and he pretty much said that in interviews. He's like, I did it because I thought my son would think it was cool. And now he's done it three times. He was in, he was in Batman vs. Superman. He had a cameo in Suicide Squad, and then he was obviously in Justice League. And he's like, well, he's like, he's like, I don't like wearing this suit. It's tight and it's uncomfortable and it's heavy. And most of my scenes have to be shot in the rain because it's Batman. So the suit gets wet and gets even heavier. And it's just like, and I assume, yeah, like working, I'm sure working with like Zack Snyder is not like a fun experience. <laughs> and well, and then like halfway through the movie, Zack Snyder's daughter died and so then Joss Whedon took over and they decided to go reshoot like half the movie. So then he's spinning like, so, that, so he's probably already like done. He's like, all right, I'm going to do some artsy indie flick about a guy with a Boston accent <laughs> owns a shoemaking shop or something. And they're like, Hey Ben, you got to start eating egg whites again because you got to be, you got to be Bruce Wayne again in two weeks. <laughs> egg, egg whites and shooting massive quantities of HGH. Yeah, absolutely. It's like, so I was like, I love, I love that with like him or like the guy from Parks, uh, Chris Pratt is like fat guy on Parks and Rec, and then suddenly yeah. he came, or uh, Hugh Jackman who's like fifty seven and still plays Wolverine, yeah, and and it's like, oh man, you must work real hard to get in shape. It's like, yeah, and they it pump a lot of chemicals into their bodies, right? It's like, are you effing kidding me? Like, there's the one shot of Hugh Jackman in one of the trailers for those Wolverine movies where he's like coming out of water or something uh-huh. and he just had i don't know you see like every muscle and tendon and it's like <laughs> you cannot tell me that that's natural and like i don't blame the guy i'm playing a comic book character right and someone's gonna tell me exactly what to take and in what quantities and it's my job to look good with my shirt off of course i'm gonna do it sure it's just interesting that nobody has like it's always just like, oh, what, oh, what did you do to get in shape? It's like, well, I ate a lot of 
ate a lot of protein <laughs> and, uh, you know, yeah, eat some egg whites. And it's like, no, it's like, yeah, it's like when you sign on to a Marvel movie, Disney shows up like at your house the next day and like, okay, here's a contract saying you won't eat anything, any carbs for 10 months. And here's Joe. He's your trainer. He will never leave your side. And okay, now go, ru- go start, <laughs> go run for 12 miles and then come back and he'll inject you with something and then you'll lift weights for six hours. Right. Like, it's like, yeah, it's like, that's, that's the routine. And Ben Affleck's like 50 now. So I'm sure he's just like, he probably doesn't like the movies anyway. Like you say, he just did them because he thought it would be like, make his kid think he was cool. And now he's like, yep, don't want to do it anymore. <laughs> don't want to lift weights anymore. Fandango. Like, yeah. I'm not saying, like, look, if I had the opportunity to hang out with Fandango tomorrow, would I leave my family? Maybe. Yes, absolutely. But. I try to keep on keeping on.